going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. What up, Capital? Thank you for that intro, and it is another edition of the Going Deep Podcast. And we're going deep on something we haven't yet done, which is saying something because we've covered almost everything at this point. But something that is really important and something that, quite frankly, is a topic that isn't talked about enough, and that is what it looks like to be a working mom in sports. That is exactly what Natalie Achanwa is undertaking. I spent time with her in her house in Indianapolis where she went to school. She is a proud Notre Dame Fighting Irish alum. At this point, she's an adopted Hoosier as she has spent so much time in the Hoosier state. But now, over the last nine months or so, she spent time as a working mom. She gave birth to her son, Maverick. Now she's working her way back to the court in multiple ways to certainly get Canada back to the Olympics on the women's side and go to her third Olympics, but also to work her way back to the WNBA court. And it is WNBA free agency right now. It's crazy to think we're already in free agency and there's another season around the corner. But we've seen it, certainly, whether it's Serena Williams and her balancing juggling act, if you will, between being a mom and a high-level athlete. Two things where it's tough for them to coexist, quite frankly, are sports culture is not one that creates a lot of room to be a present family member, never mind a primary caregiver and a mother. It's hard to be a mother in general. We've seen maternal mortality rates rise over the last 15 years specifically for black women who are three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than their white counterparts. Those gaps are by race, despite any income distribution. And I I wanted to tap in to Natalie, who just gave birth in the United States, the most expensive country in the world to give birth. She plays a sport where she has to travel overseas she plays a sport where they often break the huddle one, two, three family, but that's not always the case when you're not available for your team. So now she's trying to work back into her career, but she has another life depending on her. What does that mean for her personally? What does that mean for her professionally? And remember during the wobble, the WNBA bubble, it's hard to find a player who was more outspoken about anti-black racism and the need for women's rights and rights for working mothers in the upcoming WNBA CBA than Natalie Achanwa as an executive committee member of the WNBA PA. Now, she's raising a black son, so those anti-black racism thoughts she had when she was on the streets protesting for George Floyd, they're real. And it is real that... She's a working mom. So some of those things she was fighting for 
now she's the benefit of. I wanted to get into it with Nat on all those things. And as you hear, our conversation went so many other ways. Natalie Achanwa on her mama mentality on Going Deep. Did you always know you wanted to be a mom? I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Now, the timing of it, that's a whole different uh, kind of story. But anyone that knows me or has interacted with me on this journey knows that there's like something in me that was meant to be a mother. Uh, jokingly, I've been called like Mama Nat throughout my career um, just for like how caring I am. I like to take care of people, um, especially people that mean something to me or that I love. So it's almost like natural um, in coming into this new role as an official, actual mother. Before you were a mom and that, you were outspoken fighting for mother's rights uh, as an executive with the PA. Where did that come from? You know, it was kind of just like surprising to me. A lot of things, like when we reach this point, we're talking about 2022, 2023, and we're being like the first of things. And so for me, it was like, we're a women's league. Why do we not support mothers? Or why do we not provide for mothers, um, given that... Uh, we're, we're a league that has mothers, or we're a league of mothers. Um, and that's whether you're mothering your own child, your siblings, um, our communities. Uh, we are mothers innately in who we are. And so it just felt natural, like this is something that we should be advocating for. And uh, fortunately, it's benefited me now that I've actually been in that position um, as a new mother in the WNBA. Um, but it never started off as like fighting for something that was relevant to me. Um, it was just relevant to something that um, meant a lot to me, which is my colleagues and my peers uh, in the Players Association and in the WNBA. What are some of the benefits that mothers now enjoy? Ooh, so uh, there's actually like a mother planning fund. Um, if you're a vet in the league, you can tap into uh, financial resources to plan a child um, having children, uh, whether that's uh, in vitro, whether that's freezing your eggs, or if you're traveling or um, your child is with you during the season, you'll get like a second bedroom in market. Um, when you're on the road, you're able to take your child with you. Um, there's certain things that are, are required to be in our facilities, whether that's like a nursing room or a fridge to store milk. So things that you think um, here, given the year and our big age in 2024, that they would have been already instilled in our league and in our um, support systems, but they weren't. Um, so they're huge strides that we took. Um, but you know with any kind of change, you take these huge leaps and then you kind of like sit back and reassess. And I think now that I've gone through this, I can see some areas that we can continue to improve and uh, continue to support our moms of the league. Sports organizations are leaders of culture. Do you think Fortune 500 companies will follow? I, I think they should. Um, it's always such a surprise um, that when you look into what I call like real life outside of the sports world, um, that like maternity leave isn't something that um, is, is focused on or that is given to women in the workforce. Like now, one of those steps that we also took is that uh, you have mat leave in the WNBA, um, and you know that your your support, your salary support is still going to be there. Um, your health insurance is still going to be there. Uh, previously, you received 50% of your salary if you were sitting out or if you weren't able to play because you were on maternity leave. Now it's 100%, um, something that I was able to benefit from um, and give my body and give myself the grace to get back to being a professional athlete and not feel that I had to drive myself um, into the ground um, to be able to make sure that I can still support my family. What surprised you about being a working mom, an athlete, and a mom at the same time? Hmm. <laughs> the list. The list of things. Um, 
I think one is that you can you can check the boxes, you can prepare yourself, you can have all the information in the world, um, but you are the, at the mercy of a little human. Um, you are at the mercy of his schedule. Um, I am like a type A, I like structure, I like to know the way the day is gonna go, but the reality is is that Mav wants to wake up at five today instead of six, or uh, I have an interview scheduled at 2.30 and Mav's still taking a nap, means it's gonna be 2.45 now. Um, but I think, Giving myself uh, some leeway to be flexible um, has been something that has helped me navigate this. Um, I think another surprising one is, is the mom guilt. Everyone talks about it, um, but the living in the reality of it, of wanting to make sure that I stay true to who I am as a person, um, but also know that like adding mom title is also the part of the person that I am. Um, comes comes with some some raw and some big emotions. You mentioned the mom guilt. Mm -hmm. Is that separation anxiety? Um, no, I think it's more of. Um, I'm also very fortunate to minimize my separation anxieties because that little man comes with me everywhere I go. Um, so I'm very fortunate. Um, to my support system and to the teams and the groups that I'm a part of that allow me to bring him everywhere um, because I think it minimizes some of that in the back of my mind knowing that I'm doing this right here but Mav's upstairs or I'm at the gym or Mav's just five minutes away. Um, I think the guilt more comes from um, taking the time away from physically being with him. Um, he's getting to the point where he's like stepping and uh, like you hold his hands and walks and like the back of my mind is like, I hope I don't miss the moment when he walks. And that's what mom guilt feels like to me is like not wanting to miss the big moments. <laughs> Trying to uh, be all the things. <laughs> Damn, I was trying to like, come on, Ali, five minutes. I was like, come on, last at least 20 before you cry. <laughs> but it's a lot, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, what is the yin and yang of emotions been like for you personally, but also professionally? I think there's like a lot of, like I said, that, that guilt, that raw emotion, but also coupled with a lot of joy. Um, joy that I get to do something um, as special, as <laughs> extreme as being a professional athlete um, of representing my country um, and doing that while being a mom. Um, is something that's a, truly something special. So I think as like when I feel that, that, that guilt or that um, fatigue or that um, kind of like negative side of emotion, I always like couple that with, I get to do something that not many people get to do. I get to do it with my son. I get to surround my son with some of the most amazing people um, I've ever met in my life. Um, and to know that this journey will be something that he will look back on and know that he was a part of and know that he was an inspiration too. Um, so I always try to, to balance it out in the end to know that it's, it's all going to be worth it and it's all out of my hands at the end of the day. Um, that it's all in, in God's plan for sure. You're a mom. You also have a mom. Mm. What role does she play in all this? <laughs> She's my backbone. <laughs> um, the not only opportunity for me to come back and play basketball, um, but uh, the 
positive voice in the back of my ear is my mom. Um, physically, I wouldn't be able to be here if she didn't travel with me, if she didn't sacrifice some of her retirement time, some of her time, of some of her life, um, and remove herself to be a part of mine, to be able to travel with me, um, to be able to watch Maverick. I know she'll say, oh, it's all worth it. She loves being a grandma, um, or a nana. <laughs> um, so she'll say that uh, it's nothing, it's no sweat. Um, but the reality is, is I know that she does make sacrifice to be here with me. Um, and then also, if there's ever been a voice in the back of my mind reminding me that it's just basketball, that um, you're going to be Natalie Chanwa. You're going to be loved. You're going to be a special person regardless if the ball goes in. Um, that is her voice. Um, so I wouldn't be a basketball player. I wouldn't be the mom I am. I wouldn't be who I am without her. Today, yesterday, through the 30 years of my life. <laughs> There's mom guilt in your relationship with your child. Mm -hmm. Is there guilt in relationship with your mom and everything she's doing? I wouldn't categorize it as guilt. There's, um, you know, I think about being a mom and, and, and people say that the roles that moms fill are part of what they're supposed to do. Um, but these are jobs that are professions. These are jobs when, when moms cook, when moms clean, when moms caretake. These are professions that you can pay people to do. And so there's always a mixed emotion of, like, should I hire a nanny? Like, should I financially invest in doing that so someone is there to care for Maverick? Because it's a, it's a big, big weight to carry, to be a caregiver, especially now that he's moving around and, and, and is very active. Um, sometimes I feel like, am I putting too much of a burden on my mom? But like I said, she, will, she, she won't allow <laughs> me to ever put this position that we're in um, and phrase it that way um, because I know she she will do anything for me and I don't think I fully grasped that until I became a mother myself um, to know that you will when that phone rings you will do anything for that human that you grew <laughs> and now I'm fully truly realizing the weight of her words now that I'm in that position to come to a camp like this walk me through everything that goes into it the planning the packing the pumping what does that look like? So, huh, every time you feel like you get a grasp on something in motherhood, whether that's planning or packing, something changes and, and it becomes its new, a new beast. Um, so when I first played my first tournament back, uh, when we were traveling to Toronto, Miami, and then Columbia, um, Maverick was six months old um, in my first tournament back. And so there was a lot of... Um, at, at that point, I was still nursing, so there was pumping parts, there was bottles. Um, I had um, paid for a service to actually dry, feed, dry freeze my breast milk, and so I made it into powder, which helped traveling, making travel a lot easier. So I had to pack that um, from cribs to tents to all of his clothes. Uh, at that point, he was spitting up a lot, so it was like three outfits a day, burp cloths, all that. Now we've kind of entered a little bit more of a, he's on the move and a little bit less messy. Well, messy in a different way, because now we eat solid food. So now we're like, not worried necessarily about the milk spit up, we're, we're worrying about him eating avocado toast and there was guacamole everywhere, avocado everywhere today. So um, there are still a lot of things, um, but I think the benefit to me being so like hyper-focused and kind of like type A is that 
I have everything so structured. Like even when I go through TSA and they open my suitcase to test like the formula now um, or test the water bottles that I bring in the airport, they're like, I don't want to mess it up because I literally have everything. I have his packing cubes. I have his bottles in one thing. Um, and I know where everything is. Um, and that kind of like brings me at ease a little bit and helps uh, know that I have everything he needs to make this home away from home feel comfortable for him. Um, and especially traveling with a kid, like, you can only control so much. So I like to be able to have control over what I can. So that's making the hotel feel as much as home as possible so that he can maybe sleep at night so I can sleep at night. Um, but there are all the things <laughs> in the suitcases. And then I run it through the airport, trucking all of it. And I was like, can I help you? And I'm like, no, actually, <laughs> it'd probably be harder for you to help me, for me to explain to you how to help me, um, than me just wheeling my two safe cases, baby here or baby here. and But I have the hang of it now, so. Young Mav has more stamps in his passport than I do. You know, that boy, I was trying to count how many flights he's been on already, and I think we're at like 15. Like, first trip, like I said, we, he was a month old coming to Toronto for the WNBA game here. Um, but he's been to Canada plenty of times back and forth, Miami, Colombia. Hungry, yeah, he's, he's been on the go. That's a choice, uh, why? Mm. Why is it important to travel with him? The easy answer would be, say, would be for, because of him, because he's young, for him, he needs his mom. But I think it's equally as much as I need him as he, he needs me. Um, it's definitely been a choice to return them to play basketball, um, to be back in the workforce, to be a working mom. Um, but I never want um, that to take away from me being his mom and him having his mom. Um, and so these trips, are they're long. And I couldn't imagine him not being there with me. So I think uh, when I decided to come back and play, that has been the conversation. And I've been so grateful and thankful that Canada Basketball has supported that. Um, because if anyone asks, like, oh, is Mav coming? I'm like, well, am I coming? <laughs> that should be answer it for you. Because if Mav's not coming, Nat's not coming. I'm always afraid to ask this question, but uh, uh -oh. <laughs> what, what was the birthing experience like? I don't want to say sad. I don't want to say sad. I have mixed emotions because it was it was easy that I'm like nervous because I, I wanted like a little bit. <laughs> this is terrible to say because I know everyone has so many different experiences when it comes to pregnancy and birthing. But given the long torso, pregnancy was easy. I like got a little bit of a bump. I played through the first trimester. Um, I played in the World Cup in Australia through the first trimester. And then like, I went to the hospital at like 3.30 in the morning. I pushed for 15 minutes. He was born. And I was like, oh, I wish it was a little harder because now I'm like, oh, I could do this four more times. Like, give me all the kids. I was like, ooh, if it was a little bit more of a challenge, I'd been like, okay, maybe one more. But now I'm like, oh, I could own this. And maybe that's a competitor to me and maybe that's a terrible philosophy to have in having children. But, um, you know, I, I am so fortunate to, once again to have like so many moms in my corner and so many of my friends are moms and athlete moms or returning to play moms. And uh, they gave me all the tips beforehand. Um, I started pelvic floor therapy while I was pregnant to kind of start that beforehand so I could start my recovery to be an athlete again while I was still pregnant. Um, and so I was filled with information and I think that made the process a lot easier as well. When he's first put on your chest, mm -hmm. the feeling was what? I cried. You know, like I said, I don't know if it was like the ease of the pregnancy for me, 
that it never truly felt real until he was here um, and he was put on my chest and in your mind I'm like ooh I'm gonna have all the cute newborn pictures when he comes out ooh that picture I have mm, I was not cute I'll tell you that right now but it was such a raw moment of just tears and, and him being right here and uh, yeah it feeling so real then starts the return to play mm. can you compare what it was like for you trying to get back on the court to anything else you've been through? Yeah, I, I'm a big believer in language matters, and so I don't necessarily like to put injury and pregnancy in the same conversation um, because I think they're opposite sides of the spectrum. But both have a recovery, um, return to play process in it. And I think... Uh, Taking the time away that I did with my ACL also was like similar to taking time away um, with maternity leave. And I think that helped me um, in my approach and my mentality, in my structuring, my plan to return to play. Um, I have an amazing team behind me um, that catered to every aspect of return to play, whether that was the nutrition, whether that was, like I said, the pelvic floor therapy I started early, whether that was strength and conditioning, um, whether that was the toll that breastfeeding takes on your body. I had experts um, that willed me to return to play when I even couldn't will myself. Um, and like I said, the importance that Canada basketball plays in my life is beyond me playing basketball. Um, but the care that their staff took on getting me to come back and play basketball, um, I wouldn't have done it for any other group. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't be here without them. Um, there's something special when you build relationships with people and they see you then more than the jersey that you put on. And uh, the investment that from like Dr. Kristen to Tracy to Lauren to Megan, everyone had a hand in getting me back to playing basketball. Um, and then coupled with the will that I wanted to return to the court, um, we're gonna make something special here this, this last go around. <laughs> Why did you wanna return back to the court? Hmm. The main thing always came down to, I wanted to come back and play basketball so that I could own the narrative of how this journey goes and how this journey ends. Um, it's been my fourth Olympics. And I didn't want to just kind of like fade away <laughs> into the abyss. Natalie had a baby and then she vanished. <laughs> I wanted to um, be able to one, accomplish this feat, grow human, come back, own the narrative of how I hang up my jersey, how I hang up that Canada jersey. And that was important to me, given that half of my life is spent in one. Um, I wanted to uh, make sure that I could uh, end it how I wanted to. Um, but with that comes like, other narratives and, and, and other pieces to the puzzle. This group means so much to me, but at the same time as I wanted to do it to be able to go out on my end, 
I also didn't want to leave my team out to dry in a sense. Um, like I said, this is something that I've done since I've been 16. Um, it is who I am. Um, and I wanted to make sure that I could uh, to come back and to, to finish and to close the chapter. At the end of a practice or workout, team puts their hands in and say one, two, three, family, one, two, three, together. Do those words mean something different for you now with this group? No. It doesn't mean something different because nothing has changed. Like when we have that conversation mentality about team, about family, that has been something that has been a part of this federation since I started. Um, yes, it's special now that my son gets included in that conversation, um, but I can jokingly say that I've had children for, for a while now, and, uh, but it feels full circle. Like I remember when I was the kid on the team, um, when I was 16 um, and truly grew up in Canada basketball with the Kim Gauthiers and the Lizanne Murphys, Tatum sisters, and, and they were like raising me in a sense in this. And now I'm the, the OG, I'm the vet on the other side of it, um, adding Mav to the, to the equation. Feels for a full circle for sure. But that family mentality has been something that, it's like a synonym for uh, Canada basketball. <laughs> what conversations did you have with Canada basketball before uh, you gave birth but knew you were pregnant about what this return might be like? Well, I was still playing at first when um, I played in the World Cup pregnant. And the only two people that knew at that point um, within the, can the basketball world was my coach, Victor, and our doctor, Dr. Kristen. Um, one, just to ensure that the health and safety of my child. Um, and so they also knew that if there was a day <laughs> where I was a little tired or a little sick, that they knew why. Um, but no one else knew. Um, and after that tournament, or actually even during the tournament, I had a conversation with Victor, and I made it clear that I wanted to come back and play basketball after this, and <laughs> I laughed because Victor was like, oh, like I, I never questioned it, like I assumed you were coming back and play basketball. Even um, Steve's all thinks I'm playing in another Olympics after this, so everyone knows what I'm doing apparently but uh, the one conversation that I had with Victor and continue to have with Victor um, is that I want to make sure that if I'm on this Olympic team that I earned a spot on the Olympic team. I never want my tenure or the experience that I have or the fact that it would be my fourth Olympics to, to give me a spot on the team. I wanted to make sure that I earned that roster spot. And that has been the conversation that we've had since I was pregnant, that we've had multiple check-ins, camp in January here, um, tournament in November, like multiple opportunities to check in to see where I'm at. And um, he said, you're going to be harder on yourself than, than I am going to be on you. But I told him, I said, listen, this is the beauty of our relationship is that we've always been honest with each other. And I need to make sure that you continue to be honest with me because he's a big Mav fan. So I'm like, don't let Mav <laughs> soften you up. Like, I want to make sure that, that this is earned. I never wanted to be given anything. I never have in my entire career. Um, everything I've, I have received or that I've been a part of, I've earned. And I didn't want the narrative to change just because I had a baby. 
first time you were really seen publicly post-baby was WNBA game yeah. in Toronto <laughs> where I saw you courtside and you looked like you could give people buckets <laughs> and you had a fire fit on. What do you remember about that time in your journey? Hmm. There's two parts of that. One being the excitement, the thrill, the raw emotion of a WNBA game being in Toronto. Um, being in that arena and feeling that atmosphere and knowing how important that moment was in the history of women's basketball is something I knew I couldn't miss. Now, take out the aesthetic of that I look like I could play basketball. I could not mentally, emotionally. Um, leading up to that, I was drowning. <laughs> I, um, I was having uh, a rough time after uh, having Mav, and I think I over-promised a little bit of my return to being a working mom a little too early. Um, I had a, a postpartum moment where I felt like I was watching my life from the outside. Um, and uh, once again, I'm, I'm so grateful for the people that surround me in my village and my community that really and carried me through those moments. Would you say you were experiencing postpartum depression? Yep. I definitely feel like I was um, suffering from postpartum depression. Um, and the hardest part is, is that, especially as an athlete, you're like hyper aware um, of how you are mentally, physically, emotionally. And that's the toughest part for me was that I had these conversations before, during, and after of that women often suffer from postpartum depression. And, you know, I'm a big advocate advocate for, for mental health, taking care of your mental health, and um, being vulnerable and open to speaking to people about it. And so for me, I was like, no, it won't be me. I'm prepared. But the emotion, the hormones, everything that hits you, um, you can be as prepared as you want. And uh, it's something that was out of my control. And I think that was so hard for me because I could feel like I could see everything and I was like, I'm not right. But it felt like I was almost like behind a glass watching my life. And um, once again, those people, mm, my best friend, carried me through that for sure um she's also my son's godmother for a reason <laughs> um but dev uh i remember the phone call and she was getting ready that weekend she had a uh, hall of fame her high school jersey hall of fame and i'm getting ready for this week leading up to toronto and uh she was telling me that she was getting ready for her hall of fame and stuff and uh then she hung up and i went about and was doing things and she she called me back and she's like, okay, I'll be there in a couple hours. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I'm coming over. And I called my work, and I'll be there for the week. And I was like, well, you have the Hall of Fame. You have all this stuff. And she's like, no, I can hear it. You're not right. And I was like, Deb, you don't have to do all that. I'm like, maybe come later. And she's like, no, I'll be there. So she, once again, sacrificed her time, her life, hmm, to be there for me. nerves there's certain people in my life that always hit a nerve and she's she's one of them for uh Whew. the other aspect of <laughs> being a mom 
is worrying about your child. Mm. You were so vocal and outspoken during the racial reckoning about anti-black racism, and now you're raising a young black boy. Mm -hmm. I know for me, the difference between watching Eric Garner's video to George Floyd's is now I see my son in those scenes. Mm -hmm. I don't see myself in them. What, if anything, has changed in you around that conversation now that you have Maverick in your life? You know, sometimes it feels selfish of me to have a kid. Like, to know everything that's going on in the world, to know the difficulties of being a black man that I almost feel selfish of bringing a child into this world. But I think when I talk about or I think about the other side of it is always trying to do my part or my piece. And that has been always part of the narrative of that everybody's individual decisions, making your community a little bit better, makes the, the whole better. And I think that has how my approach has almost amplified is that now I need to do two pieces. Now I need to do a little bit more in hopes that I'm making this community, I'm making this world a little bit better because once again, selfishly, my seed is now a part of the community, my child. Um, and that I'm not just trying to make this short term better for my life, but that um, in hopes that I'm making the world a better place for, for Maverick and for his kids and the generations after it. Um, I think it's just, it's given more fuel to the fire for sure. Your passion for social issues, where does that come from? Is that something you were raised in? Mm, no. You know, it's, it's, it's literally just being me. We talk about especially, why is the WMBPA, why is, is this group of women so at so passionate and so at the forefront of a lot of things, a lot of these conversations, it's because literally we, we live it. We're almost a double negative in society. We're women and we're black. It is in who we are. Um, it is in our own struggles, our own difficulties. It is in our own journeys. It is in our own communities um, that it's almost second nature for us to, to be the example, to lead in these roles. And, and that is true to who I am as well. Um, growing up in a multi-race family, um, even just some of the um, stories or, or challenges in with my own family um, that have given me or fueled my passion um, for wanting to change the narrative. Do you feel like you have a new identity uh, now being a mom? <laughs> for sure. Um, Becoming a mom has changed who I am, whether that's from my decision-making to the time I wake up in the morning. Uh, every piece of being a mom has rocked my world and um, has made me view the world differently, um, but has also softened me. <laughs> uh, anybody that knows me is I'm a very straightforward person. and. Uh, almost literal, too, too literal at times. Um, um, but now I'm, I'm emotional. I cry about the people I love. I live in the moment. Um, as much as I said 
I'm at the mercy of Maverick and his schedule. Um, I live for that mercy. Like, I love that now matters so much. Um, being a person that loves to plan and likes to think ahead, um, he has centered me in the now. He has made me live for this minute. And um, that has been a, something that's changed me for the better. Because um, you can get so caught up in the journey. You can get so caught up of your goals and wanting to be this person or check this box at this time in your life. Having Maverick has made me slow down, has made me appreciate today. Um, and uh, especially as you get older, family gets older, you never know how long you have. Uh, you never know how long people are going to be a part of the journey. So he has slowed me down for the better. What's Natalie 2.0 like on the court, though? We about like Natalie 5.0 at this point <laughs> for how many times I feel like I've had to almost reinvent myself in this journey. But I think this new Natalie on the court is um, even smarter. And if you, if you go back on any... Anytime anyone has talked about me as a basketball player and knows how like cerebral I am, how thought, like how much I think the game, it is even more advanced um, because I've never been the fastest, I've never been most athletic. That has never been a part of who I am. Um, and now, when I've kind of taken this return to play, um, my like quick twitch wasn't this wasn't connecting to this for a while so I had to like go back and watch I had to watch the game I had to to, to learn the game because the game constantly is changing and so that's how I got back to being a basketball player was like re-watching and rethinking the game and then I knew the body was going to come um, and that I knew it was going to be a process for that so could I get this lined up quicker um, and that helped me feel more like I was back uh, before I was truly back. Thanks so much to Natalie Chanwa for the candidness and really the trust with her important story. She's got a lot of love on social media via the video feature that we did based off that exact same conversation. Just to promo, there will be another one, a part two of that story coming out on International Women's Day, March 8th. But in the interim, give her a follow at Natachon11 on IG and show her all the love for the important work that she's doing in terms of representation and what it looks like to be a working mom. If you'd like to see the video feature that we did, because who doesn't like to see a cute child, make sure you go to the link in our bio. You can find it there. Going to switch from representation in sport, but of a different kind. This time, it's being provided by another Canadian female athlete, and that would be Sarah Nurse. And what she's doing for nursing nights in the PWHL alongside us here at Rogers. Stay tuned for that. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Gondi with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had the show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Grandma and Granddad. And as I mentioned before the break, Rogers is really proud to support and partner with Sarah Nurse's new community initiative in collaboration with Black Girl Hockey Club, which really has been led 
by Soroya Tinker for quite some time to shout out to Soroya as a trailblazer. And we've got a new initiative called Nursing Nights, which is Sarah essentially hosting young girls that are part of the Black Girl Hockey Club, ages 12 to 18. They're getting experience at select PWHL games, not only in Toronto, but away games throughout the season as well. If you haven't heard much about it, Black Girl Hockey Club started through fandom, having black women be able to go to games and find each other. And it's built up over the years to be a really strong, important nonprofit organization that focuses on making hockey more inclusive for not only black girls, but their families and allies as well. Black Girl Hockey Club Canada specifically actively works to prevent exclusion in hockey based on race or gender or sexuality or the ability to be stuck because of institutional racism or financial gatekeeping. They make sure that whoever wants to play the sport has the program access they need. And they're making a young impact on girls in the form of equipment, gifting, and game experiences, and scholarships and hockey program payment, which is why the donation from Rogers of 50K is much needed and will go a long way, as will the actual experience they had at the first nursing night at the Battle on Bay Street, Toronto versus Montreal, in Scotiabank Arena on a Friday night, sold out record crowd to see a professional women's hockey game. So I caught up shortly thereafter with Sarah Nurse to talk about the gravity of that moment, the benefit of having the ability to touch these young minds, and the important role of the corporate community, in this case Rogers, investing in our grassroots in this country. Sarah Nurse, on partnering with Rogers and Black Girl Hockey Club for Nursing Nights. Nursey. You have nursery nights. What was it like for you, sold out arena, to have that experience for the Black Girl Hockey Club in partnership with Rogers? It was so special. Uh, obviously, it's such a historic night being able to break that attendance record. Um, you know, selling out an NHL size arena like that—that's pretty insane. And then to add on top of that, to have such an incredible event to be, you know, supported, put on by Rogers, supported by my league. Um, and then to be in conjunction with Black Girl Hockey Club, knowing that there were 15 to 20 girls up in those suites, being able to witness professional women's hockey live is like pretty indescribable. We talked before, post-George Floyd, about the fact that some corporations maybe didn't keep the same energy in terms of their support. We look at Black Girl Hockey Club, lots of intersectionality, the black community, youth, uh, female in sport. Why is it important to continue to support at a grassroots level like you are? Yeah, well, I think, you know, obviously when we spoke a couple of years ago, like, it's not like black girls, it's not like women, like, disappeared since then, right? Like, we continue to live. And so to keep that energy when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion is so important because you don't just go away. And so to have that momentum and continue propelling forward and show, you know, black girls that there's a space for them in hockey, not only on the ice, but everywhere, whether that's in the arena, um, on the business side of hockey, there's so many opportunities. What I loved about those black girls is when they had time with you, they had lots of questions, not just about hockey, 
the modeling and representation that you provide, whether it's hair or anything that's going on in their lives, what's it like for you to feed some of those curious minds? It's really cool. Um, I don't know if I had one hockey question other than like my pregame meal, really, but I think going back to the representation and what that actually means to young girls, the amount of questions, DMs, comments, Instagram, whatever it is, of people asking me like how I prep my hair for hockey. And I was like, I never knew how to do that. I just kind of figured it out. I didn't have somebody to look to, but it's worked for me. So maybe it can work for these young girls. And so the fact that I'm relatable to them in so many other ways off of the ice is something that I craved so much when I was young. And so it's pretty humbling to me that I'm able to be that for them now. The biggest piece of representation that I was proud to see, to be honest, was you and Soroya, both there, influencing the game at different levels that night, but collabed for that. Often, women are pitted against each other, black people are pitted against each other because there isn't enough uh, room. There could be a crabs in the bucket mentality. What was it like for you to collab with another influencer in the space? Mm -hmm. It was um, pretty amazing. I think, you know, you spoke about being pitted against each other. And I think for a long time, people actually tried to do that. And I think that's some sort of a mold that we continue to break time after time. And I look at Soroya and I, and we can kind of have this two-pronged attack almost. And I mean, I can be representative as a player right now, but she's showing just how many spaces are available and how many barriers she's breaking. Uh, she's working with the league. She's also doing broadcast for the league. She's the executive director of Black Girl Hockey Club Canada. And so that just shows how many opportunities there are for black women in sports, black women in hockey. And so it's been amazing to be able to collab with her, work with her, um, pull from her experiences and show women that we're much better when we work together. You may not have noticed because you were focusing on the puck, but there were many black people in the audience that weren't part of Black Girl Hockey Club. Did you ever think that black people would be involved in the game the way they are now in so many different ways? I never thought that I would see, you know, more than one, two black people in a hockey arena. And so to this day, like, it's still, I still stop my tracks and kind of turn around and be like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, because that's just something that I never saw growing up. My dad was the only one in the entire arena um, who was black, who was not white, basically. And so um, I saw, you know, the black families in the stands at Scotiabank Arena. And I was like, we have a suite up there <laughs> if you want to join. There are a lot more. Um, but it was so special. And it, it just shows, you know, how much, um, how far we've come. And the fact that people feel comfortable going to hockey games, which is something in the past that they haven't felt comfortable to do so. Careful inviting. Mm -hmm. Our people to the suite because you might get like 300. <laughs> I know. Show up real quick. I am that person. Though. I'm like, oh, you can just go upstairs. There's food. <laughs> you talk about your dad because, in many ways, it felt like a family reunion. For the players, your families have not really been able to see you on this type of stage. What's that part of this year been like? It's pretty surreal um, to have the people who have gotten you to where you are today. Uh, they've been with me at those times that I'm changing in a broom closet at a local community rink when I was like eight years old to playing on one of the biggest stages in women's hockey that they've ever seen. 
Um, so to be able to have their support, they've sacrificed, they've traveled so much um, just so that I can experience my dream. It's so gratifying to be able to give that experience back to them almost. And I know how proud they are of me and how supportive they've always been and continue to be. And so um, to my family and everybody else's family, like we can't say thank you enough. You have played in front of big crowds and big arenas before at the World Championship stage, at the Olympic stage. But to share that with some teammates who haven't, what was that experience like? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll say that game at Scotiabank Arena has felt different than any game that I've ever played in. Um, I played at the Olympics. I played at the World Championships. We've sold out NHL arenas before, but something about the air felt different. And people always talk about the rivalry, Canada-USA, and they say that's what, that's what draws people in. Well, we didn't have that, <laughs> right? And people, 19,000 people were packed in that arena. And so the opportunity, um, the amount of joy that was in that arena could be felt for 60 full minutes. And I hope we get to do it again um, and continue with that momentum. And I know that my teammates who've you know, never been able to experience an Olympic Games or a World Championship, um, I think that's the beauty of it because only, you know, 23 girls on each team get to experience a world championship or Olympics. But now we have an entire league of girls who will be able to experience what we experience on Friday. Have an entire league of girls who are on TV almost every night, mm -hmm. which we've never had before outside of international competition. Just normalizing mm -hmm. seeing a female compete on TV means what? Mm -hmm. For the next generation to normalize seeing women playing professional sports is crucial, not only for the young women, but for the boys and the men, uh, especially because, you know, as competitors, as performers, there needs to be that mutual respect. And so my grandfather told me actually he was sitting behind a team of boys at our game at Scotiabank Arena and they were talking to my grandpa telling me telling them that I was their favorite player and things like that. But I was like, that's the difference is when the young boys can look at the girls who are the same age and say, hey, you can be a professional hockey player too. And I don't think it'll ever feel normal for me to turn on the TV and see a promotion for the PWHL. You know, I was watching um, at the beginning of the year and, you know, my face and Pooh's face popped up on the screen and I was like, oh, we're playing Pooh this week. Like, that's exciting. And it'll never feel normal for me, but I hope for the next generation, it's just another advertisement. <laughs> I was in line behind some teenage boys trying to get jerseys and there were none they yeah. took them all yeah. so you're gonna have boys going to school with some PWHL drip on exactly. where do you think even further growth can be seen I think that there are a lot of opportunities for growth and I think that the feedback that we've gotten from women's hockey from day one is that we create a very safe and inclusive space that some people haven't felt watching other men's professional leagues. And so for us to be able to bridge that gap and saying, hey, this is a space and you are welcome here. You can come have a seat at our table. Um, we want to be innovative. We want to find ways to change the game, um, make it as interesting as possible and grow the game globally because we know hockey is huge in North America. 
we know hockey's big in some parts of Scandinavia, but to be a true global game, we know that there needs to be more growth. And so I even think of from a game perspective, us implementing the jailbreak rule, like that's cool. And that's something that so many NHL people have talked to me about thinking like, that's an awesome rule. Like we should implement that as well. And so if we continue to push, we continue to be innovative. We'll be able to move the needle. You mentioned the NHL. They've provided some background support and infrastructure. The stars of NHL All-Star Weekend in Toronto were Bieber and the PWHL players. To be a part of that showcase, what was that like for you? It was a full circle moment because we've been a part of the NHL All-Star for a few years now and we played in 2020 in St. Louis actually and it was kind of labeled as a Canada USA thing again. And at that point we're at a very low point, we didn't have a professional league to play in and we were looking to them as like hope. And for us to be able to be back here in 2024 under our own banner and having the NHL provide a platform, I think was absolutely insane. Um, I think it was important for the growth um, to get our game out there to NHL fans because right now we have almost different fan bases and it's okay for those to overlap. And so we were able to show our game at Scotiabank Arena um, in partnership with the NHL. Was there ever a time between St. Louis and Toronto in the interim during the Dream Gap Tour where you thought you wouldn't get here? Absolutely. There were so many times that that doubt creeps in and you have to lean on the people who have been with you in the fight. Um, there are times that I had bad days that I could lean on some of my teammates, some of the people um, with the PWHPA and understanding that it's going to get better, like we are going to figure this out. Um, but there were multiple times where I thought we weren't, and that's okay because that's all part of the journey, and it wasn't a linear journey. There was a lot of this, right? And that's the beauty of it. We can look back on all those ups and downs and say, this is how we got here. Maybe the biggest up would be not only the league starting, but starting with the CBA. What was the importance for you, the player, that that piece got done? The CBA was really paramount for us as players because in women's hockey specifically, we'd never had that protection, I guess. We had always been kind of jerked around, basically said, this is what you do, this is what you're going to get, and there's no retributions or any consequences for anything that happened. Um, and so for us, it was so important, and for the for the investment group as well, just to have that set of guidelines to say, this is what the players are responsible for, this is what the league's responsible for, and we agreed upon that. And so that was to be able to set ourselves up for success, not only for this inaugural CBA, which is eight years in length, but for 15 years down the road, for 20 years down the road. And hopefully we've laid a pretty good groundwork so that the girls in eight years who are renegotiating um, will have a pretty good leg to stand on. One of the biggest pieces of that uh, legislation is what it means for working moms in the league. Limeane of yours, Spooner, uh, is a great example. Seeing what she's doing, balancing it all at a high level, what's that like for you? It's pretty inspiring to be able to see on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, we, have so, we have a lot of moms in our league. Um, being able to witness, you know, Kendall Coyne Schofield do the CBA while she was pregnant, I think she gave birth the day after it was done. Uh, but to see Nat and what she's been able to do um, and how she's been able to put her family first while keeping hockey top of mind. 
Um, she's performing at such a high level. We talk about mom strength, like she has got the mom strength. Um, but I, I just think that her perspective, she's also on the PWHL PA. And so being able to bring her perspective of being a mom um, has been so beneficial. And again, is gonna set the next generation of women who want to be moms and also professional hockey players. It takes a village to raise young kids in a way, not their actual mom, but those little <laughs> black girl hockey yeah. kids are uh, you know, your children. It's evident what they get from you. What do you get from them? Mm -hmm. Honestly, everything. Um, I get so much energy, appreciation, and love from them. It brings me so much joy and like gratification to see a young girl who looks like me walking into a hockey arena. Like if I could see that every day, it would. <laughs> I would just be beaming because I never thought that I would see anybody who looked like me in a hockey arena. And so to see a young girl like that be so energized and invigorated, um, so in love with hockey, brings me so much joy. And to think that I could have like even the smallest piece in that, um, again, is so humbling. Issa Rae said, if you don't see what you wanna see in the world, make it. And you're a great example of that, both retroactively, but proactively in everything that you're doing. Lastly, what's next? What else do you want to do? Oh, what else do I want to do? <laughs> there are so many things, honestly. Um, I have so many passions that lie outside of hockey, and I've been able to do some pretty incredible things, you know, playing the sport within the game. But um, there are, like, weird, crazy things I want to do. Like, I want to, like, go to Fashion Week and, like, do different things like that, hit up the beauty space. I want to, like, immerse myself in different areas of culture, right, and be able to transcend hockey a little bit. Um, I've been like so grateful to have built this platform for myself and I hope that I can continue to lift up the hockey community but also show people that you can be more than one thing. Can't wait to watch. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Sarah for spending so much time, not just with me, more importantly with those young girls who really had a time of a lifetime. I was embedded with them and to hear the questions that they were asking, to see their eyes light up when... They got to spend time with her. It was really something special. So all the flowers go to Sarah Nurse. You can give her a follow at Nursey16. And if you are inspired to help, because that's the goal of corporate giving, is not just to give, but to raise awareness and create a model for others to give as well if they can, blackgirlhockeyclubca.org is our website where you can find more information on how you can support, whether that is with finance or with your time or both. In terms of those PWHL Nursing Night games that I mentioned that are presented by Rogers, we got a bunch of them. March 8th, Montreal at Toronto. March 20th, Boston at Toronto. May 1st, Minnesota at Toronto. And April 24th, Toronto at NYC. So look out for those Nursing Nights presented by Rogers coming up on the schedule. And if you haven't been yet, Go to a PWHL game. You will not find a more affordable entertainment option in our country than the PWHL right now. I've been and had a great time. Had a great time talking to you as well. Hopefully, this episode, you listened and you learned. Take care.